This podcast is hosted by Chris Finkston and Spencer Oliver. They are both experienced paramedics. They've done everything from 911 ground ambulance to volunteer fire department work and are both currently flight paramedics. This podcast reviews scenarios based on real calls run by real out-of-hospital clinicians. Details are changed to protect the privacy of those involved and to present educational opportunities to the listener. This podcast is EMS 2020. All right. This is Spencer doing an impression of Chris opening. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to EMS 2021. I'm not always like that. I have had a few like no, that. No, no, though. no. Sometimes you do. Hey, welcome to EMS 2020. <laughs> like, I forget the name halfway through. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> welcome to EMS stuff. Wait, hang on. Well, <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. There's a reference there that a few of our audience members are going to get, and that is a nod to you guys. Yeah, excellent. Chris, you know what my favorite part of high school was? Mm, let me guess. AV club. I don't know. What was your favorite part of high school? Skipping. Skipping. You know what the part I hated the, you know what the, part I hated the most was? Uh, I don't know. What was it? G- group projects. I liked group projects, though. You liked group projects? Really? I thought they're... Yeah, I don't know. I I was... Uh... I, you know what? Because there's two people. <laughs> there's two kinds of people when it comes to group projects. Yeah. So there's the people like me who go, ah, fuck, I'm going to have to do all the work. Yeah. And then there's the people who go... Sweet, somebody else is going to do all the work no, and I'm going to no. get a free grade. There's a third person and that's me, the person that's like, I get to shine as group leader. That's <laughs> that, <laughs> that was me. I was always the one that was like uh that was like I will take on the group leader role. That's me. That was me the entire time. And um yeah, that's um <laughs> I kind of enjoyed them. Don't get me wrong, like I, I hated the freeloader. They made it hard. You know, and it sucked, but, you know, just to, you know, assign them to like, yeah, and, and Barry's going to tie his shoes for this project. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, they give, yeah. no, because the group projects were always like, hey, all right, we're going to give you double the work, but there's going to be like three of you. And I would go like, fuck, it's just one of us, basically, because the <laughs> other two people like one of them, they're like, oh, yeah, my Internet didn't work last night. It was weird. I wanted to type things up, but I couldn't research. Mm-hmm. And the other one would just be like, oh, we had to do that last night. Yeah. Oh, and I'd be like, no, it's fine. I did all the work because I fucking knew you guys wouldn't yeah. do it. Um, on the plus side, I feel like it set me up for life. Right. Exactly. Kind of set you up almost for EMS. <laughs> It really does. And uh, yeah, so hey, everyone, welcome back to yet another, and I'm calling it now, phenomenal episode of EMS 2020. You say it's going to be an okay episode. It's passable. That's right, because I wrote it. And yeah, that's, that's, it's <laughs> passable. It, 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 it might work. I'm not bitter at Today's all. Today's call. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm just going to point this out. Uh, of our top 10 episodes of all time, six of them are Spencer's episodes, four of them are mine, and uh, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that, but I will say that one of mine holds the number one spot of episodes listened That's to true. of all time. Yeah. That's true. And mine's really just, I, I, I you know, if, if you fucking throw it enough, 
Which, if you, know. you guys are curious, if you guys are curious, sorry, Spencer does bring most of the calls. If you guys are curious, though, the number one episode of all time is When School Gets It Wrong. So if you'd like to help me keep that in its spot, you should go listen to it <laughs> again. <laughs> again. Yeah. yeah, just keep downloading it. Just I, you keep know what? Over I think and we've over. Saw, I, I think we figured out why it's the number one spot. Chris, <laughs> I just have a Chris server opens farm. like five computers. Exactly. <laughs> just listens to it over and over again. It's such a good episode. Look, people like it. <laughs> You're calling up Russia. Like, uh, hey, guys, I really need your help. Uh, so I also uh, I also determined the titles. And so I think what I'm going to start doing is just writing terrible <laughs> title names for Spencer's episodes. <laughs> you know, like the shitty one. That'll be the name of the episode. <laughs> I'll name them like Friends episodes. It's all going to be like the one you don't want to listen to. The one where Spencer fucks it up. The one. The one where you should listen to everything but the gun, which is also one of my episodes. <laughs> this episode is a burning pile of garbage. <laughs> exactly. And if you don't think I will well, tank the show to feed my ego, guess again. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, speaking of burning garbage, uh, the call we're reviewing today is kind of a hard one. I honestly have a ton of sympathy for the medic who submitted it because, boy, I've been in these shoes back in high school. Right. <laughs> so apparently, let's yeah. dive into this week's call and find out what happened and how we can avoid this sneaky type of problem. All right. But before we do that, because your intro was shit and you forgot, uh, let's do a little housekeeping. So first off, please follow us on the <laughs> Sorry. Uh, please follow us on social media. Uh, we are EMS 20 slash 20 on Facebook, uh, Instagram uh, at EMS 2020 show. And you can email us uh, all the calls. Um, and you guys definitely are aware of this email because we get tons of calls. Uh, but you can email us at EMS 2020 podcast at Gmail dot com. So in our last episode, we asked you guys like, hey, for those of you guys in the field, what would you want non EMS people to know about being a paramedic? And we got a few responses from that. So we're just going to read a couple here. So first off, uh, Josh uh, wrote on our Facebook page. He wrote, uh, just remember that it is not our emergency, rather the patients. And we can't come in thinking this is bullshit. Uh, I love that, by the way, because we preach that on the show all the time, uh, especially shown in today's episode. The episode he's referring to is our last episode which is, uh, I believe it's called The Petty Difference. Uh, go listen to it, please. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, in that episode, by the way, we basically had a crew that arrived on scene and because of previous conflicts with the different agency, they kind of let that uh, color their assessment and it, it didn't go well. Um, but they didn't write, uh, especially shown in today's episodes, we can't approach scenes with prejudices. In the long run, it only harms our patients. On a different note, though, uh, rather you work private EMS, municipal EMS, or hospital-based EMS, just remember we're all EMTs and paramedics. Just because our patches, badges, or uniforms aren't the same, we all still deserve the same respect and courtesy. Um, and I couldn't agree more with what Josh is saying. That is the absolute truth. Kate writes, it's not all CPR, fast driving, lights, and saving lives with fancy medicine and procedures. It's more mental health, social work, reassurance, uh, reassurance, and minor illness and injuries. That's how it is over in the UK. Oh, hey, I love Love it when we get some more international stuff here. Uh, we are more mobile GPs nowadays and less emergencies. And that... That actually is really uh, true. That really links into a lot of what we do lately. I think Spencer and I have hit that on several episodes that um, 
there's kind of this weird thing where we have a lot of providers in EMS that really don't see themselves as mental health caretakers, but we are. Mental health is such a big yeah. factor of what we do. And there are so many calls and go so much better when we focus on that. And so Kate brings up a really good point. The emergencies are there. They are a part of it. But the true blue emergencies, it's a small percentage of what we actually do. A lot of what we do, again, is mental health. There's social stuff and yeah, getting people, uh, getting people fixed. I'm not saying that's the way the system should go. I know there's a lot of people in the industry that are like, Hey, like, why are we using up emergency resources for minor, minor problems? But unfortunately, at least in the U.S., there's a gap. I feel there's a gap in our system. And, uh, until that gap is filled, uh, we can't just let nothing happen with these people. Something has to happen. And unfortunately, we are the stopgap until that improves. Uh, so, uh, Kate, Josh, thank you so much. Uh, there are some others that we didn't get to, uh, but we do appreciate everyone who responded uh, to that. So with that, uh, Spence, let's do it. Let's get to the call. All right. So today's calls, uh, today's call comes to us from a five-year paramedic working for a busy urban ALS fire service, wherein they do the patient transporting. Their code name for this episode is Sisyphus. That's not syphilis, by the way. Sisyphus is a... Yeah, uh, no, it's yeah. not <laughs> Yeah, and his partner herpes. They're gonna. They're gonna. They, they are both just burning and itching to get this call done. So. Yeah, I brought his daughter Chlamydia to work that day. So anyway, uh, God. Perfect. And later on, he's gonna kill Al Capone. All right, let's move. On. Sorry. Moving on. The system they're working in is an urban system with an ALS fire response who respond to every medical call along with the fire service ambulance, which does the transporting. They do have a rotation for who gets to work on the medic units housed at their various stations. But oftentimes those assignments fall on the newer folk at the department as they are busy shifts. And if you're on the AMBO, you're likely going to have a very long 24-hour shift in which you're probably going to be awake for the entire thing. So Yay. these aren't coveted spots. Woo! <laughs> but there they were. Sisyphus and his EMT partner, Homer, are dispatched to respond to an adult foster home, touched on in last week's episode. They had just cleared the hospital from their last transport, and we were hoping to get back to their station for lunch, but alas... Now they would be driving Code 3 across town for an unconscious, unresponsive patient. The notes for the call say that a 50s female at an adult foster home was found down in her room by staff. Hmm. Homer lights up the light bar and hits the sirens and drives them across town to the call. <laughs> Is this seat? Never mind. <laughs> Is this scene going to be somewhat of an odyssey? Oh, that was terrible. You're the sirens call. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Yep. That was good. No, 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 that no. was subtle. I like that one. L yeah. Literary right. joke. Literary joke. Aside from the massive lantern I'm hanging on the whole thing. Yeah, totally subtle. <laughs> well, you're really going to fleece me on these, aren't you? <laughs> Absolutely. All <right>. They arrived. <laughs> They arrive to the adult foster home to find a fire engine from a dis... God damn it, Chris. <laughs> I'm fucking laughing. I'm trying to, like, I am actually trying to think of puns while I'm talking. It's, fucking, <laughs> it's bad. It's not good. I'm happy about All it, right. though. <clears throat> 
They arrive to the adult foster home to find a fire engine from a different station parked outside. Homer and Sisyphus unload the stretcher from the ambulance and park it just inside the large front room of the adult foster home. Sisyphus hears the sounds of paramedicking coming from <laughs> down the hall. Right? Like that? Yeah. So he, and, so he and Homer head down a narrow hallway till they arrive at the smallish bedroom where the call is taking place. Once in the room, they find four firefighters tending to a very obese patient laying supine on the ground. So here's a quick description of what they saw as they walked in. They walked into a small room with a bed in the corner of the room just to their left with a large powered wheelchair next to it. At the foot of the bed was a large oxygen concentrator and tucked in the far right kitty corner from the bed is a Hoyer lift. Along the walls of the room are personal items, you know, decorations, a small flat TV screen, etc. And in the middle of the room, next to absolutely nothing, is the patient, who again presents laying so, supine. There is a firefighter standing just to the left of the entrance of the room scribing. There's an, uh, we're dubbing that guy scribe. There is an EMT we're calling Achilles, who has a BVM attached to the patient's trach and who appears to be delivering breaths to the patient. Uh, just for <clears throat> clarification, this patient has a tracheostomy. <clears throat> um, Midas, paramedic and <laughs> lieutenant for the engine crew, is at the patient's right arm, appearing to try for an IV. And the other firefighter that I'm dubbing equipment guy wow. is assisting Midas by grabbing items out of the kit. This is such a, uh, wow, I'm kind of all over the place in this one. On one hand, I'm like, wow, like Midas, Sisyphus, Homer. These are some well-thought-out nicknames. But then you bring in Equipment Guy, <laughs> like just to throw that in. And I'm like, wow. On one hand, it seems like he's really trying. On the other hand, we have Equipment Guy. I hope Equipment Guy and Ambulance Driver hook up here soon and uh, really start doing some good work. <laughs> uh, really quick, for everyone who is listening, and if you heard the term Hoyer Lift, a Hoyer Lift, if you are not in the medical field, you'll be like, yeah, what the fuck is that? Basically, there is a, it's like a hammock, and there's just a sheet that goes underneath the patient, and the sheet has these loops, these nylon loops that then attach to a uh, a mobile a device on wheels that will then pick them up out of bed and they essentially like picks them up and they're like in a hammock and then they can be transferred easily to uh, you know like a stretcher or a wheelchair uh, those kind of things it's basically for people who are non-ambulatory or cannot walk uh, and need to be moved uh, specifically people who are quite heavy because then this way no one actually has to lift them and injure themselves uh, in doing so. Yeah. That being said, just to kind of set the scene here. So we have Scribe, <laughs> Scribing, uh, Achilles, yep. the EMT ventilating, Equipment Guy getting stuff, also known as Equipment, uh, for Midas, and Midas, the king paramedic for the crew, doing an IV. And I'm going to say, if you're giving this guy a name like Midas, I know one of two things is going to happen. Either everything he touch, touches will turn to gold and he's going to save this call, or it's the opposite, and this is sarcastic, and this particular King Midas touches things and they turn to shit. So I'm excited uh, to see what happens. Yeah, no, uh, that's it. And uh, oh, real quick, uh, because I'm sure, again, some of our listeners are wondering, what is a tracheostomy? Essentially, it's a surgical opening made into the trachea for the placement of a tracheostomy tube. Essentially, 
that's a tube placed low in the neck that bypasses the upper airway and allows people to breathe. There are a variety of reasons that patients might have this done, but uh, typically this happens when a patient is going to need like long-term respiratory care and support or has like upper airway problems, you know, tumors, something of that sort. Um, this is different from the emergent cricothyrotomy, which is a surgical incision into the cricothyroid membrane with the placement of like an ET tube uh, in situations where EMS can't intubate or ventilate. So... Uh, two different things, but uh, we have to be familiar with both. Yeah. Anyway, Sisyphus describes their first impression of the patient. So she's morbidly obese at around maybe like 450 pounds. She's maybe five and a half feet tall, and she's lying in the middle of the room with just nothing around her aside from that engine crew. Uh, she's completely unresponsive. Her color seemed okay. Um, she's noted to be wearing a dress and she has a pair of depends on. Okay. So what's going on? Sisyphus asks the engine crew and Midas looks up from their just failed IV attempt and says like, Hey, uh, yeah, this patient was found down by staff last seen normal 30 minutes ago. Uh, she, when we got there, she had a pulse, but she was not breathing on her own. So we're breathing for her. Okay. Sisyphus asks, okay, uh, where are we at? What can I do to help? And Midas instructs them, instructs them to see if they can get it IV access. Midas also tells Homer to go get the stretcher and bring it into the room. So Sisyphus drops down to the patient's left side and asks for IV supplies. Equipment guy who's in the kits hands them a variety of catheters, a constricting band, alcohol prep, and a four by four. While Sisyphus is looking for an IV, they're asking Midas for more information. Hey, so what's the backstory on this patient? Sisyphus says that initially they thought Midas was irritated by the question because their face got tight and they gave a stern, I don't know. Okay. So Sisyphus fails the first IV attempt. But while they're failing this, Midas then explains that the staff for the home basically have only told them what they told the 911 call taker. 30 minutes ago, the patient seemed fine. Then they came to check on her in her room and found her down and called 911. Wow. Midas invites him to try and get more information when a staff member returns from the room because they're out grabbing paperwork. So uh, Homer then returns to the room and announces that the stretcher will not fit down the hallway and into the patient's room. So Midas tells them to go and grab a backboard and straps from their ambulance so that they can move the patient out. Homer departs to go get that stuff. So Sisyphus is looking for another IV site and also just kind of continuing to ask Midas about, hey, like, what did you get for vitals? What did you guys find assessment wise so far? And Midas just kind of points to the monitor and Sisyphus sees the following. Heart rate is 60, normal sinus rhythm with occasional PVCs. The blood pressure reads, question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> yes. Over question mark, question mark, character mark. And yes, it does get cycled again. Okay, perfect. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, of course. It's like, all right, well, that didn't work the first time. Let's do it again. Oh, um, God. The, uh, to make matters worse, the pulse oximetry isn't reading. Um, hmm. And, and again, skin-wise, the patient's skin is described as warm and dry. What about coloration, though? Uh. 
So I asked Sisyphus this actually quite a bit, especially as we go into the story. He doesn't feel like the patient's color was really all that off. Okay. So, so no, I'm not- Normally uh, the patient, I mean, yeah. normally you would. Like the color of the patient's skin, if you're noticing it's warm and dry, that means you're at least looking at it. And if it was off, it, it, it would be something of note. So I'm going to, I'm just going to assume that the color's normal. Um, yeah. When we're talking about skin color, we're talking about, do they look pale? Pale is a good sign of hypoperfusion, meaning blood's not really getting around the body. And then you have, uh, or cyanotic, which is blue, which means that you have deoxygenated blood or low levels of oxygenated uh, oxygenation getting around the body. There are some other skin colors as well, such as yellow or flushed red, those kind of things. But uh, anyway, so yeah. fun story. Yeah. So Sisyphus then asked Midas about a CBG and Midas says that they haven't gotten there yet. So, uh, one of the catheter IV catheters does have blood in it. So a CBG was checked off of one of those IV catheters, uh, using the pen trick and it's found to be 170 milligrams per deciliter. Pen trick, by the way, when you get done with an IV, there's a flash chamber on the IV. It's a chamber that helps you when you're starting the IV to let you know that you're in, you can actually push blood out of the flash chamber, out the end of the catheter. Once you've actually started the IV and it gives you a little drop of blood that you can use to check a CPG. Anyway, continue. Absolutely. Uh, Sisyphus suggests that, Hey, while we're waiting, why don't we knock out a quick 12 lead? Because again, they're waiting for Homer to return with the backboard and straps. So they start that process. They cut the patient's dress, exposing her chest. And right as they get the leads out, of course, Homer returns with the board. But they take the extra seconds to complete the 12 lead, uh, which unfortunately they didn't have to share with us. But uh, per Sisyphus, it basically looked unremarkable to them. Um. Sisyphus also says that he noted no obvious abnormalities on the visual inspection of the chest while they were putting the leads on. So there's that. With the 12 lead complete, the long backboard is set down and the patient is rolled onto uh, their side at the direction of Achilles, the EMT who is managing airway. The patient is then rolled back on airway's command and the group sets to work securing the patient, except for scribe who is proactively getting all the kits they brought in for the call out of the room and back to their rig. But let's go back to the log roll onto that board. As the patient is rolled back onto the board, Sisyphus notes that Achilles doesn't touch the BVM afterwards but instead starts dealing with the securing of the shoulder straps. Hey, uh, I'll do that. You keep bagging the patient, Sisyphus tells Achilles, and he takes over the task of trying to secure the shoulder straps, starting with the left one. Achilles gives maybe like two breaths and then again stops bagging and starts working on securing the other shoulder strap to the, to the backboard. Sisyphus sees this happen again and just sort of pointedly asks like, hey, is the patient easy to bag? Achilles again stops the strap work and goes to give the patient another breath. Achilles nods and says, yeah, very easy. Sisyphus asks about end tidal CO2. An equipment guy hearing this exchange stops doing straps and throws an end tidal CO2 plug from their monitor over to Achilles. Achilles plugs it into the end of the tracheostomy tube in between their BVM and equipment guy plugs the other end into the monitor. The first reading comes back. 
Chris, give me a guess. Give me a guess. Yeah, I'm going to guess. Uh, I'm going to guess high because this person, uh, this person has not been uh, breathing very adequately. I'm going to guess there's some CO2 retaining. Do I need to guess how yeah. high? Is this, is this like the price is right, but yeah, let's do higher or lower. All right. Higher high, or lower. Higher or lower. Um, let's 60. Higher. 70. Higher. 90. Higher. Are you shit? Uh, 110. Yeah, just under 110. Damn yeah, it. it was over 100. <laughs> Which, by the way. I like how I finally decided I'm going to go by 20s and then... <laughs> And then, you, and then you overshoot. Then I yeah. overshoot. You lost. Yeah. I lost Bob Barker's disappointed. Or Drew Carey, whoever's doing it now. They're angry at me. So it's over a I mean, hundred. really only one host. Yeah, it's the highest I've ever, I've ever seen. Holy shit. Or I've ever heard of anyway. I've never seen it over a hundred. Yeah. Um, and by the way, neither has Sisyphus because this was what he said. Holy shit. You need to bag her. Sisyphus says to Achilles. Yeah. Achilles responds with the defensive like, hey, I have been. <laughs> Which, I, okay, sort of, yes, you have, but then we also saw you not. Not that those little <laughs> brief moments would at, get to 100, but like, mm, yeah, I'm kind of yeah. like Sisyphus was... He was pretty irritated about that. He's like, dude, I, I like fucking saw him stop. Her. And there's like kind of a couple things here, though, that are kind of poking out to me. Maybe I'm jumping. Maybe I'm jumping ahead. But I'm I'm starting to get nervous now with a rate of over or a, a value of over 100 and Achilles being like, yeah, this is super easy to bag. Um, this is kind of striking me as something wrong because typically in the patients that I've had with increased ETCO2, I have a lot of bagging resistance. And these are usually like your COPDers or people who are naturally CO2 retainers. Mm. Something mm -hmm. is striking me as immediately off. And I have a gut feeling on what I think it is, given this is a trach patient. I will not spoil it. Something right here, though, is off. Anyway, that's I'm, just... I'm. And points to you, you're right. And it's not just like some weird, like left field, like, oh, they need to release the unicorn from it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Then I feel like, yeah, that wasn't it. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but yes, you are right. Something is off. We'll get to that in a moment. Mm -hmm. So Ch Sisyphus chases Achilles defensive. I have been with, okay, then you need to do it a lot faster. That number should be around 35 not 100. And a real quick side note. So 35 to 45 is technically a normal end-tidal CO2 value for patients. Um, but that might be a little oversimplified because like a lot of things, it's also kind of context dependent. Um, there are some situations in which you would actually want to have a lower than quote unquote normal end-tidal CO2, you know, situations like head injury, severe metabolic acidosis, and, you know, on the other side, there are some situations in which permissive hypercarbia is okay. So we're not going to go into like all of that here. I just wanted to give listeners just a little context on those numbers. I, I agree with Sisyphus 100%. 100 millimeters of mercury is way too fucking high. And to me, it's a sign of poor ventilation. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so equipment guys suggest to Achilles that they should quote, close the patient's mouth and nose, end quote. So Achilles uses one hand to close the patient's mouth and pinch the nostrils and the other to squeeze the BVM and 
boom. Yep. The end tidal CO2 number on their monitor starts to drastically decrease, dropping to 80 within several breaths. Sisyphus yep. also wants to listen to lung sounds, but the kits are gone, already taken out by Scribe. Why? So he doesn't have a stethoscope. Why? Why was this done? <laughs> so... Uh, Dr. Yep. Size is just like, again? <laughs> like, <laughs> no, no, no. To be fair, the kits were brought in. They were just taken out. <laughs> That's not fair still. That's not better. That's still <laughs> awful. So oh Midas calls out from... <laughs> Midas calls out to the group from the foot end of the patient. Okay, guys, are we ready to move? The patient is now secured to the board. Equipment guy will be holding the monitor so that Midas and Homer can carry the foot end of the, uh, of the patient. Achilles will continue to uh, operate the ventilation for the patient. And Sisyphus and Scribe will hold up the head end of the board. But Sisyphus pauses before they start to lift just to do a quick sweep to make sure they're ready to move, which is a really smart move. Um, and this is why they do that, because something catches their eye. There is an O2 tube plugged into the BVM, but there isn't a D-cylinder O2 bottle visible. I mean, ideally, mm -hmm. they just grab the portable tank and toss it in between the patient's leg while they uh, carry her out so they can keep her on oxygen. But uh, Sisyphus kind of does a quick look around the patient and doesn't see a bottle. So their eyes follow the O2 tubing from the BVM. It goes from the BVM across the floor towards the end of the bed. And it's attached to the O2 concentrator at the foot of the patient's bed. Oh, Sisyphus, good gravy. Yep. Sisyphus angrily gets up and goes over to unplugging it, noticing that it's running at a whopping six liters and per minute. That is about as high as O2 concentrators go, by the way. Like they're, they don't yeah. go much higher than six. I mean, so I'm thankful someone at least cranked the concentrator. But <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, it, that thing is probably operating like wide open. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so Sisyphus is pissed. Why are we plugged into the concentrator at six liters per minute? Where's your O2 bottle? So, brief tangent here. Um, where is your O2 bottle? Totally valid. Why are we plugged into the concentrator at six LPM? There's no point in saying that aside from to, to show that you're pissed. Because, like, yep. there's no good answer to that. Like, it's not like someone's going to answer and be like, okay, let's keep going down this route. Like, that's not going to happen. That's just, you're just spewing your anger. Which, in all fairness, I would be really mad too. But um, I, I, I get that. But it, it's certainly not helping. Like, you're not actually looking for that answer. You're basically just saying, you idiots. You plugged it into yeah. the wrong thing. All right. I mean... Yeah, basically, this is this is the high school equivalent of me going like, hey, I didn't get your portion of the paper that you were supposed to write. And I'm going, uh, Internet was bad. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, yeah. So Achilles gives them a weak answer, uh, which is basically something about the concentrator being right there. Uh, Sisyphus honestly doesn't recall their answer because they were just mad. Yep. Um. <laughs> Meanwhile, Scribe does the like, ah, fuck, I already took our kits out thing. 
And ultimately, Midas just says the following. All right, let's just get the patient out of here and into the medic. Uh, We'll get them back on O2 out there. We're moving, guys. And everyone just seems to do that. Hmm. So Sisyphus tucks the O2 cord for the BVM into the chest strap uh, and lifts their end of the board. It is difficult, but they're able to get the patient out of the room, down the narrow hallway with a staggered approach. So essentially, one person goes out the door and they kind of slide over to let the next person on the opposite side go out. And then they kind of slide back to let the middle person go out. Yeah, it's it's kind of a long process. But okay. um, they get the patient down the hall and they set her down uh, on the stretcher, which is out in the large room. Uh, Sisyphus notes the monitor. The heart rate is still in the 60s. Blood pressure is still question mark, question mark, question mark over question mark, question mark, question mark. And I know this will blow your mind despite being cycled again. What? I know. Right? Oh, my goodness. Oh, twice in a row. Yeah. Like, Man. and here's the thing. What cracks me up, though, is sometimes you'll cycle it again and it will give you a blood pressure. And then you always see people so happily, readily, like, write that one down. And for me, it's kind of like, it's like asking the kid in class, be like, uh, hey, man, you know, did you do your part of the assignment or can you at least tell me uh, what time of the year the penguins mate? Because that has to go next uh, onto the poster board for our project. Uh, and they'll just be like, I don't know. And you're like, really? You don't know? And if they come up and said, December. Like, are you going to write that down? <laughs> like, are you going to be like, that's good? Because that's the no, equivalent that's, of what you're yeah. doing. When a blood pressure comes back and says, I have no fucking idea. And the next time it comes up, it's like, yeah, 120 over 80. You're like, oh, that's good. <laughs> you're comfortable with that? Because it went from nothing to a very specific answer. You should question that. <laughs> or at yeah, least man, confirm it with a manual. That's, yeah, you know, blood pressure magic. Yeah, just, exactly. That's how it works. Right. Um, also, the SpO2 is still not reading. Uh, end title CO2, by the way, is now 60s and trending down. Hmm. So Sisyphus tells Midas, okay, when we get out to the rig, we need to get a manual blood pressure and we need to get access. Can you guys grab your IO kit? Because we don't have any bariatric needles in ours. Midas nods and tells equipment guy to go grab their IO stuff and bring it to the medic. Uh as the monitor is now placed on the collapsible equipment holding section at the head of the stretcher. I don't know what's that, what's that called. And that was a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's called an apron, collaps- by the way. <laughs> the collapsible equipment holding section. The apron. Or apron <laughs> of the stretcher. <laughs> Sisyphus grabs the paperwork from the two people who run the home and also tries his best to get more of the backstory. The staff are very vague. No, the patient didn't complain of any anything. No, they seemed normal earlier. I don't know what happened. We just came in and saw them down, so we called you guys. Also, Sisyphus doesn't recall anything from the medication problems list from the paperwork they gave, so we also don't have that. So the patient is quickly taken out of the home on the stretcher, and they load the patient into the ambulance. The stretcher's pushed in, and Sisyphus tries to secure the stretcher into place with the ambulance gurney locking system, but the stretcher seems to go in farther than it should and subsequently won't lock. That's no good. There is confusion. Sisyphus quickly realizes that the 
collapsible equipment holding section or apron of the stretcher must have been pushed in to try and make the stretcher fit in the hallway, but hadn't been returned to its normal extended position before they loaded, which is a prerequisite to being able to lock the stretcher in place in the ambulance. Yeah. Sisyphus pulls the stretcher out again, hoping to be able to extend the back by just pulling it out, but the collapsible section will not extend. Oh, my. Midas also, yeah, Midas hops out, and together with Sisyphus, they pull from the foot end of the stretcher. Again, they're holding it up, they're pulling with all their might, but it just ain't moving. Sisyphus <laughs> definitely doesn't loudly say, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> Midas demands to definitely not Midas demands to know what's wrong with this stretcher Sisyphus explains someone pushed it in and the equipment catcher for some reason it won't extend (laughs) Midas demands like okay so what do we do and Sisyphus says okay just push it in I have an idea and you're gonna love this idea dude okay Uh, I'm really curious because I know this problem Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, by the way, to everyone who uh, hasn't encountered this before, you have to lower the legs. You have to lower the the wheels, the legs of the stretcher, take the weight off the back so that it can actually go out, be pulled out. It It won't move if there's any kind of weight on it or significant weight. Yeah, basically what what this is, and, if, and there are people that are like, what the fuck are they talking about? Uh, ambulance gurneys, they can be collapsed down to fit in the smaller places. And part of that is uh, there is a telescoping section of the back half of the stretcher that can just telescope in or out. And that's what we're talking about. And theirs, unfortunately, is stuck in. Well, it's not stuck in. They're just not doing it right. <laughs> but uh, they're, no, they're totally not doing it right. Yeah. So if you take uh, the, yeah, you got to take it completely out for it to work. If you're just trying to like, because what you can do when you pull it out, there's a hook that holds onto the end of the stretcher so that it won't come all the way out. And it sounds like what he's trying to do is pull it out, have it hook on that hook and then just pull against the hook. Well, that won't work either. And then the other guy joined him at the front to pull harder. And that's still not going to work. <laughs> So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So the entire stretcher is pushed back in and the crew with uh, Sisyphus's idea, they used the hard restraints, a.k.a. giant zip ties to just secure the stretcher in place by just fucking zip tying it uh, to the securing bits of the ambulance. (laughs) That's not going to what? All right. You know what? Whatever. Adapt and overcome, <laughs> bitches. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I was like, hold on, how many zip ties? And they went like like all of them. And I yeah. think they had eight in their rig. Nice. So they, yeah, they, they fucking, they locked that thing. It, it wasn't moving. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Fair enough. This may Nuclear be a bad bombs, idea. cockroaches, and this stretcher. <laughs> they will be here in the end. Nice. All right. So, uh... Yeah, so they secure it, everybody jumps in, equipment guy stops by and tosses Midas the I.O. kit. Yeah, because that's his thing. He's equipment guy. He's equipment guy. So Sisyphus, after securing the foot end of the stretcher, is the last person to climb into the ambulance and sits on the bench closest to the rear doors. Next to him is Midas. On the other side of Midas on the bench is Scribe, still jotting things down. Good job, Scribe. Achilles is sitting in the airway seat, delivering ventilations the right way. The monitor has been moved by scribe to the floor of the ambulance. 
and Midas instructs Homer to start transporting Code 3. It will be about an eight-minute transport to the emergency department. Okay, Sisyphus announces, we need to get another set of vitals. Let's get that blood pressure. I'll work on getting an IO. Uh, go ahead and hand me that IO kit. So Midas hands them the kit, and apparently, unbeknownst to Sisyphus, just hits cycle on the monitor <laughs> for the blood pressure. Because why not? Because <laughs> why not? Third time's a charm. Oh, Jesus. Meanwhile, Sisyphus opens the IO kit and finds no bariatric needles either. Uh, Sisyphus points this out to Midas, who essentially just shrugs. Okay, good. Sis- Great. Sisyphus, Sisyphus decides that they might as well try a blue IO needle in the medial tibia. Maybe it will. Nope. <laughs> Doesn't even touch the bone before it's at the hub. Yeah. Uh, so Sisyphus decides anyway to be like, all right, I'm in this far. Might as well. They try and drill down. And for a second, they thought it would work, uh, cause they felt like it went into the bone, but the minute they take it off, uh, the needle just pops out of the bone from the skin and, uh, and that's it. Yeah. It will not work. It just sits in her leg. So, so they I've, pull out the IO needle. I've been on calls like this. So there are blue IO needles and there are yellow IO needles. Um, technically you can probably use a yellow IO needle for any person. You're just going to have some of that needle sticking out and that's actually just fine. That's not a problem. Um, but, uh, I have seen the blue ones try to get used on large patients before. And, uh, so the goal of the IO needle obviously is to get through the skin, through the flesh and into the bone. And when you have one in there, uh, I remember we had a bariatric patient and they're going and they're doing a, a tibial IO and as they're drilling in, it looks like a button on a leather sofa, you know, where like the whole sofa is kind of like pinched in by the button where it secures. And I'm yep. just like, All right, but it's staying there. And I'm like, hey, it's staying. And then I look and all of a sudden I notice the leather sofa effect is gone. And I'm like, that's out. That's that. Yep. That's no longer in. And that's what happens because that flush just pushes that thing right back out again. So you need the longer needles. Um, yeah. All right. So, hey, let's just continue. Look, um, you know, roasting our marshmallows over this dumpster fire. <laughs> yeah. By the way, if you put a needle in and you're not sure what you want to see is you want to see at least one black mark sticking out of the skin by the time you feel it actually. Yeah, the, me- the, the needle has these black marks on it. Yeah. To, to yep. show so you need at least one black mark. Uh, I'm guessing this one had none since he said it was up to the hub. <laughs> yeah. So, <clears throat> uh, all right, we'll have to try for another IV then. Sisyphus announces to Midas, who is basically sitting at the patient's left arm. Uh, hey, what's their blood pressure? Midas comments that the monitor BP still isn't reading. Re- oh still God. isn't reading. Sisyphus, now super aggravated, pointedly grabs their manual BP cuff from the bench next to the officer and moves over to the right arm to obtain a manual BP so that Midas can again try for an IV in the left arm. Sisyphus briefly hears a few beats around 90 millimeters of mercury, but nothing else. They call this out to scribe like, hey, I hear a systolic BP at like 90, but that's it. Um... Midas announces that they have failed their uh, their IV attempt, I, attempt number of fucking whatever it is. Um, <laughs> Sisyphus, realizing that they're hurtling towards the hospital, reaches around Achilles to grab the radio to let the hospital know that they have a code three patient coming in. Then after the radio report, they go back to the right arm 
and they managed to snake in a 22 gauge IV into the patient's right AC. Hey, all right. All right. They attach a liter bag of LR and run it wide open. Which through 22 that, is not very fast, but still. No, yeah. It's better than the nothing they had. Better than the nothing. As, as that leader starts flowing into the patient, Syphysis realizes that, one, they're now pulling into the hospital, and two, they haven't gotten to check lung sounds yet. Jesus. Sisyphus quickly grab, places his stethoscope on the patient's chest to listen to the lung sounds. And guess what, dude? I don't know that I want to know this. I don't know that I even want to guess. <laughs> what is it? Is it, As is he's it? listening to the lung sounds, he suddenly sees the O2 tubing still coiled in the chest strap and not at all attached oh, to an O2 source. <laughs> I thought this was going to be about the lung sounds. Oh, you were no. kidding me. Uh, it turns oh, out my that God. Achilles, nor anyone else, ever connected the O2 tubing to oxygen once they were out in the ambulance. Yeah. So... Sisyphus is livid. They angrily tell Scribe to grab the portable O2 out from the ambulance kit and give Achilles a what the fuck look. And Jesus. I'm, he says it was a what the fuck look. I'm a bit like, I'm surprised it wasn't like, what the fuck? Wait, I'm going to imagine just the words. <laughs> just the words. Jesus. Uh, in response, uh, Achilles apparently gave them a sheepish, like, oops, smile shrug. Oh, Which, no. uh, yeah, did, did not go over very well. Uh, <laughs> they unload the patient and they all go into the emergency department. Oh, uh, lung sounds, by the way, diminished with Ronkai throughout all fields. Great. That's fantastic. There we go. Why not? So, why not? <laughs> so they turned over care in the ED. The itching crew did not stick around at all. Uh, basically, as soon as they could, they departed that shit show ASAP. Would you say that the engine crew made an exodus? Oh, nice. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I would. Yep. Boom. Google that reference. <laughs> <laughs> Sisyphus was hoping that they'd get a chance to debrief after uh, the turnover, but that didn't happen. Uh, uh, we ultimately don't know what ended up happening with the patient. They were taken to the ICU with what the ED doc presumed would probably be an anoxic brain injury. Sounds but, uh, about Sisyphus right. Didn't know much beyond that. Um, and unfortunately, they never did get to have that uh, come to Jesus moment with the engine crew uh, because unfortunately, they got tapped on other calls and so did the engine crew and they just never got to connect with them again. So let me get this straight. So basically what we have, we have Sisyphus, his partner Homer. They show up to an unconscious uh, mid 50s female at an adult foster home who was found down by staff in like the middle of the room. And Sisyphus gets bogged down with kind of trying to fix like everyone else's task like this entire time like from the oxygen tubing to getting a blood pressure to like IV access and ultimately yep. like really important and I would say simple things like the oxygen getting plugged in just get completely lost in the confusion and so basically they present the hospital with a patient who is I'm not gonna say super hypotensive like a, a palp in the 90s you know isn't great but I'm guessing it's not normal I mean it's indicative of something going on um, yeah who's not been on oxygen ends up with an anoxic brain injury. Go figure. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. 
Which, by the way, I'm shocked as hell they got a 12 lead accomplished. Because I would not think that the 12 lead of all the things would be accomplished when we couldn't even plug an O2 line into an O2 bottle. I mean, that's... that's amazing and i'm happy for that because one thing that i would be worried about in this person especially with wet lungs and relatively lowish bp would be some sort of cardiogenic failure uh, and possible mi and so yeah i'm i'm happy for that but holy fuck yeah i i mean here here's my take on what happened my presumption is based on the story and i again i who knows fucking just throwing coins in a well at this point like the patient probably had like some kind of respiratory complication prior to and then just went into respiratory failure and was caught before she coded um i think the crew initially didn't help and then continued mm-hmm. to not help for most of the trip like yeah. she probably needed more oxygen than she that she got Oh, you mean the, yeah, the so none maybe, that they gave her? I'm sorry. The yeah, six then, liters I mean, per the, minute. Hold on. 21%, baby. <laughs> oh, and, yes. Add the six liters per minute to start. Yep. Yeah, that, maybe she got all the way up to 35%. Which, so the anoxic brain injury might have happened already, but again, this, this crew didn't help. Uh, you, you know what? Sisyphus said the worst part was actually sitting down to write this chart. I can see uh, that. Yeah, because he's completely pissed off. You know, he's going like, how am I supposed to document that the patient had been on six liters per minute at first for, you know, the, for me showing up and being there? And then, like, we moved them to room air and just <laughs> left them. It's like, he's going like, after the call, there were assessment pieces that I didn't do, but, like, they might have been done maybe by Midas. But, I, like, I don't know because that wasn't communicated with me either. And I was so busy kind of running around doing all this other stuff that I, I just never got to follow up with that. And then they just left. So yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. This call highlights just another one of those situations that we find in EMS that we just have no warning could happen. <laughs> you know, like yeah. <laughs> we've talked about this situation before on our show where like how in school scenarios, like you always have enough hands and the hands you have always easily seem to accomplish the tax, they, the tasks that they need to. Mm-hmm. And like, in other words, if you assign somebody to like, Hey, all right, you're going to be on airway in your like code for class. The only follow-up you might get from the instructor proctoring, it would be like, uh, okay, so they're on airway. Do you want them to put in a superglottic airway or do you want them to put in an ETT? The, the rest is taken off your plate so that you as the PIC can focus on running the rest of the call. You want an IV done? Done. You want to solved it. Yeah. Two IVs just now. (laughs) I have seen some scenarios where the instructor will be like, Oh, and he can't get an IV. All right. Have him try another one. Oh, and they can't get it in either. All right. Have him try another one. That's good. It's in. And that's all it is, you know, but it's always, and it's done in two minutes. Like, like the difficulty is done and over. So, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know of a single instructor who runs calls like they work in real life. Like, oh, you're (laughs) going to start an IV. Okay. Then for like the next five minutes. Yeah. You're just going to go ahead and struggle to get that IV. (laughs) Yeah. You're really going to have to troubleshoot. Uh, Oh, meanwhile, the person you assigned to get a blood pressure is just cycling the autocuff over and over. That's their job. Yeah. Uh, oh, the person you assigned to give the hospital a heads up because you're working on that IV has never given a radar report. So while you struggle with that IV, you're also going to need to narrate to them what you would say on the radio. What's that? 
you're checking a CBG. You you want to check a CBG with the pen trick? Oh, uh, you can't because you set your pen your pen down moments ago when you started working on the ID, <laughs> and you can't find it now. Oh God! Oh, uh, by the way, blood pressure guy says he finally got a pressure, and it's one ninety eight over two thirty one. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, uh, I will no, have like, you do. Yeah. Oh, go on. Sorry. I was going to say, I'll have you know, like uh, I start my day at EMS. I either start with uh, like five pens and end up with zero or I start with one pen and end up with seven somehow. Like that's the way it goes in EMS. <laughs> Dude, that's it. Yes. No, I have secret pockets for pens for when yeah. like eventually I'll lose the fucking pen that I have. I, I But like you, I my pens might be mating because sometimes right. I leave I leave my shift and I'm like where the fuck did all these come from? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so again, school fails us in this instance to prepare us for real life because well, everything always works out in a timely fashion for our school scenarios. That's just not what happens in the field. <clears throat> in you know real life. Providers will take shortcuts or overlook critical items or make decisions in a moment that they might have felt were good ideas, like just keeping a fucking patient on six liters per minute via an O2 concentrator. Uh, <laughs> but in retrospect, totally weren't good ideas. And those moments can have devastating consequences if you're not vigilant. So let's dive in and review what went wrong and what went right in this week's call. So I, I called this section, won the battle, lost the war. Okay. I'm sure everyone's probably heard this adage like, hey, you won the battles, but you lost the war. Sisyphus over the course of this call, I felt like won a ton of the battles, like all of them. They... I, I, in my opinion, they really were the MVP on this call. They, yes. they got the only IV. They got the only blood pressure for the entire call. Yeah. They had a super cool solution for the stretcher not locking in the ambulance problem, albeit an unnecessary one. Right. It probably would have been faster to just lower the legs. But yeah. I, I like the problem solving. Uh, but, but they still lost the war because the critical item of plug the fucking oxygen in didn't happen and was overlooked by everyone. It, I'm not saying this was like, this was all on Sisyphus that they dropped the ball here, but like they're a part of the team. You yeah, know? that's true. Uh, and it, you know, and so like a heavy amount of blame definitely sits on Achilles. Sure. Uh, Cause they were in charge of airway and the good heft of the call of this responsibility should fall on Midas's shoulders. Cause Midas, seem to be the original PIC and they probably should have been paying attention, but I, I don't know. Maybe it's, they were also overly task saturated. If they're coming in and they're trying to do all these ALS tasks and they're overlooking that sort of just like following up, but you know, th there is no I in team. Uh, there is an I however in hypoxic. <laughs> I'm going to point that out really quick. <laughs> and that was a cheap. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. They achieved hypoxia. <laughs> nice. I'm sorry. That's that's kind of that's awful. No, we're, we're bad people. That's I like that. No, it's oh, good. Boy. All right. Uh, yes, but I, we are a team, and so we have to anticipate that people on our team might mess up, overlook, or just miss something that changed. 
you know, um, we have a duty to ourselves and to the patient to make sure we're not just focused on our own shit and missing out on that big picture. You know, <laughs> it doesn't do any good to like be like, all right, fuck yeah, I got the crike. And then like have go like, oh shit, start CPR because they're dead. They've been, they've been dead this whole time. <laughs> yeah, like that's, yeah. that's, that's not good. So we want to make sure we're keeping our eye on the bigger picture, even if we're in our heads for our tasks. Yeah. So uh, how do we, how do we do this? How do we solve this problem? And to me, the solution is we have to do a reassessment loop, which is at key moments during any call, especially critical calls where there's a lot happening. You just have to stop and start the ABCs over. Like, hey, okay, I just finished this. Where are we at? Okay, first off, does my patient have an airway? Are are they being ventilated? Is the oxygen happening appropriately? What's the circulatory status? Like, and by the way, the the key moments to check on to to do this to do this reassessment loop are are these. You know, like so when you first walk in. Or, you know, in this case, probably after that first task was completed and Sisyphus had time to ask about HPI and assessments, that's a good kind of moment to peek around and just see what's going on ABC-wise. And those are your critical things. Those are the things you definitely don't want to fuck up or miss. So ABCs, anytime you have a, when you have that spare moment, do that real quick. Or after any significant patient move, you know, like out to the stretcher or out to the ambulance, just take a second, stop, reassess, make sure that the tube is still, you know, like if you have a ET tube, the tube is still in place. There's still waveform capnography. There's still chest rise. There's still oxygen plugged in. The oxygen button is turned on, on in your ambulance. Some ambulances have a little oxygen button. If you don't hit that button, no oxygen comes out, even if you turn the flow meter up all the way. So those are little things that you just want to check to make sure that they don't fuck you because they will. They will find a way. Oh, they most so, certainly will. Absolutely. So stop and reassess at those key moments when you find yourself with the that spare time or after every patient move. You just have to stop, do the reassessment. And so there's kind of another here thing here and Spence, you probably predicted this. I'm going to go on my, my PIC rant a little bit. Um, Cause one of the things that yeah. I would ask, so I'll ask you this Spence while you were reviewing this call and writing this call, who would you say was the PIC? <laughs> okay. Who, who would you say had the PIC label on paper and who would you see actually acted as the PIC? So here's my, so on paper, Midas, the, you know, golden lieutenant yeah uh would be the pic in actuality i, I don't think anyone held the role it, very good, great perfect and I, th- I think the closest contender was sisyphus because they send because the, yeah. they seem to be kind of like driving getting things done um and calls without pics uh, are just doomed to fail, especially hard ones. Uh, here's the thing. If you don't have a clear PIC on a call and it goes well, that is luck or, or it was one of those calls that really couldn't go bad. You know, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where calls without PICs are doomed to these kind of problems. And 
when you have an establishment, so one of the things that I feel would have helped this call is kind of that classic American Heart Association, American Heart Association closed loop communication. You've got the PIC, they give an assignment, whoever gets the assignment repeats the assignment back and carries it out. And the PIC can make sure it gets done. They at least know the thing was heard. But if you don't have a PIC in the first place, then the closed loop communication can't happen because it has to be between the PIC and other people. If there's no PIC, then no one has anyone to communicate with. And that's just wasn't what was happening. There wasn't like a central person that did nothing but absorb process information and then issue commands that didn't occur. If you can imagine how this call would have gone, if one person would have stood back and said, all right, they're the PIC and all they did was just sat there and made sure shit got done and that was it, this would be a different call. But that didn't happen. Everyone was in the weeds to some extent. Everyone had their head down. We talk about having your head underwater as a PIC. You don't want your head underwater. Uh, yeah. You put your head underwater by doing the intervention. Uh, you know, like trying to get an IO or trying to get an IV, those kind of things. That's where your head gets dunked on. And when you do those things, you're focused on that soul assessment. It's just like getting your head dunked underwater. You can only really, when you're underwater, you can only really focus on, all right, how long can I hold my breath? And that's all you can do. And then when you pop yeah. up, everything that was going on above water, you got to look around and you got to be like, all right, what's changed? Because you have no idea. And so yeah. you don't want to get caught up in that. And like Midas was trying to get an IV and Sisyphus wasn't really taking the role. Sisyphus was kind of like putting out little fires here and there and trying to kind of be PIC, I feel, but then never really was. And so, yeah, um, yeah there was just, there's no organization to this call. And so we just had like crap upon crap uh, going on. Now, one of the things that can happen as soon as you can get on a scene and you have someone, in this case, Midas, who is in theory, the PIC, and I feel like Sisyphus, in a way, was kind of not necessarily waiting for Midas to really stand up and command that role necessarily, but Sisyphus didn't necessarily seem to recognize or at least start making moves to be like, okay, Midas isn't being the PIC that they need to be. Um, I either need to kind of nudge them and say, hey, uh, are you PIC on this? Or I need to be like, hey, I'll be PIC. Someone has yeah. to step up. And here's the thing. I love say the words. Don't sit there and assume. Say those words. Be big, loud, and cheesy on scene. Be like, all right, I'm the PIC. Or, hey, who's PIC? Use those freaking words. Because then somebody's either going to say they are and get in that PIC mode. Or no one's going to say it. And then guess what? It's you. So, yeah. anyway. PIC rent over. We can move on. No, but that's a good, that's a good piece for sure. I think that really, I mean, honestly, I think that really sort of hits on what happened here, you know, more to the core. I mean, you know, the reassessment piece, everybody, everybody owns a part of that. You know, everybody should be kind of double checking everybody else's work when you have, like, if you have a spare moment to do that, or again, after every patient move, but a lot of that could have been orchestrated and organized had one of those players stood up and actually declared themselves PIC or just even did the like, Hey man, if you're PIC, why don't you stand back and just sort of make sure that this is going, this will go smoothly, you know, like that, that work, that would work well. So, yeah. um, I agree. I, I think one of the other stumbling blocks, and honestly, this is something that I'm not greatly familiar with myself because it's something that we rarely encounter. 
let's talk about the tracheostomy. Yeah, let's talk about tracheostomies. Yeah. These are I, so, have, I have not. I'll openly admit I have not encountered a ton of tracheostomies, uh, tracheostomies in my time. Yeah, no, the, we see the, like. I don't know. I, I find them more in hospitals with mm. patients like ICU patients who are, you know, they're like, yeah, they're going to be here for, for a long time. So, yeah. you know, we're, we've decided to forego the, you know, month of endotracheal intubation and we're going to do this. I'm assuming there's less complications with it. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, occasionally we're going to encounter these patients out in the field. Um, and we need to know how to be able to manage the this airway because it is different. Um, so again, they're occasionally encountered in the field. We need to know how to do it. Uh, the tracheostomy is a the tracheostomy tube is a tube that essentially gets surgically placed into the trachea. There's several different tubes and a variety of reasons that a patient might have one placed. But again, for our purposes specifically, we're going to discuss this from an airway management situation. And because of that, we just need to know the following. The first question is the tracheostomy tube cuffed or uncuffed? If the tube is a cuffed tube, that means there is a balloon on the distal end of that tube, which should be inflated and which will block air from going the wrong direction up the trachea, you know, like out the mouth or nose or <laughs> the hole in which the tube is sitting. Yeah. In situations where there's a cuffed tube, what we need to do if we're managing this airway is check the pilot balloon to make sure that the balloon is inflated inflate it if it's not you then use end title to try and deliver positive pressure ventilations to the patient where you should get chest rise you should see misting in the tube and most importantly you should get waveform capnography if you have all those things hey problem solved ventilate and oxygenate the patient appropriately if you don't get any of those things then the tube might be blocked or it might be in the wrong spot which does happen occasionally this can be a dangerous moment for these patients when they're like changing out their tubes uh, they can get displaced and then that's a bad airway problem um, if it's in the wrong spot or if you think it's blocked then we need to try and correct that obviously okay. so Try some suction or worst case scenario, you might have to remove the tracheostomy tube and place a bougie into the tracheotomy, making sure you can advance to the carina. Then you can throw an ET tube over that bad boy, advance, inflate and secure. And again, confirm you're in the right spot. Confirm the tube. Use end title, chest rise, all of that stuff. Ventilate and oxygenate appropriately. Lung sounds. Don't forget lung sounds. Alternatively, for some patients with a stoma, you can still attempt an orotracheal intubation, uh, but you just have to make sure that you advance the ET pass, uh, and so that the balloon tip is past that stoma site. Or just um, plug the stoma with a finger. I'm kidding. Um. <laughs> you know, I, well, I mean, honestly, like I, I had the same thought. I was like, well, hey, what if you get, you know, like there's those really thick occlusive dressing ones. I'm like, yeah. I feel like air wouldn't escape out of that. But, you know, <laughs> probably I don't easier know. to push past it. It's just probably easier to push the tube down in the patients where you can still attempt oral tracheal intubation. Now, um, so real quick, 
Um, yeah. A few of you guys might be wondering uh, about, you know, so Spencer just said, hey, you know, remove, possibly removing the trach tube and then putting a bougie down uh, the hole that's left and then advancing over that. Uh, some of you guys might be wondering, like, well, hey, why not put the bougie down the trach tube that's in place first uh, just to get it there, just to make sure you're in the right spot. I would caution against that only for um, it, it may work, but only for one reason. And that is that some of these trach tubes, like Spencer said, can be in the wrong place. And it might seem kind of crazy, like, hey, how do you have a hole in your trachea and then put this in the wrong place? This happens more frequently than you may think. Um, it's actually very common for trach tubes to go between the skin and the trachea and go down to the side, especially in patients uh, who service their own trachs. And that is a thing. There are patients out there who change out and clean their own trachs because they're otherwise able to manage their airway for short periods of time. So these are people that may wind up in trouble when suddenly they try and get it back and it goes down uh, a space that is next to but not the trachea and then they get hypoxic and then they struggle with it uh, and then they just wind up uh, in a really bad spot. So if you go on that person and you put a bougie down that trachea, you're just going to put a bougie into the wrong spot uh, as well. So don't assume that just because there's a hole that should go directly to the trachea that any tube in it is in the right spot because it's it's very likely um that that it's not in the right spot yeah. so be careful with that anyway and and that's and that's again why i would suggest highly suggest end title co2 waveform capnography right. plugged into the end of that thing to make yeah. sure that it's in the right spot um all right so that's cuff tubes if it's not a cuff tube because not everyone needs a cuffed tube then we shouldn't see a pilot balloon But uncuffed tubes do mean that air can move both ways in the trachea and potentially escape out of the nose and mouth if we try to use positive pressure ventilation. Um, In this situation, to do positive pressure ventilation, you'll need to block those air escape routes by covering the mouth and nose. Um, And honestly, for this call, it sounds like the patient did have an uncuffed tube. Um, and, and I don't think that the tube was blocked or displaced because once the patient's mouth and nose were covered, uh, ventilations were measurably happening with the BVM since they were getting entitled CO2. Um, the lung sounds though, incredibly late in the call also confirm this. So another thing that you can do, uh, so just a little bit more in terms of like how you can cover the mouth and nose. Easy way to do this is if you have a uh, the mask from a BVM, especially if you have the kind that attaches to the patient's face, you can put that on and then it's a real simple matter of just plugging up that hole with either like an occlusive dressing or your hand instead of trying to hold a jaw shut and pinch a nose. So yeah, and, and- and there is sort of an aspect of like how it looks. Yeah, <laughs> like it, it does look like, like you're suffocating. <laughs> a, a mask is a lot nicer looking oh, than like your yeah. hand just covering their mouth, <laughs> trying to hold it closed. <laughs> exactly. Another way I recommend uh, trying to keep the mouth and nose occluded is just by taking a pillow and pushing it down uh, over the patient's <laughs> face. I think that looks uh, that looks just fine rolling yeah, into the no, ER. That's, that, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> Family will be cool with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for more tips on like pillows uh, over your patient's <laughs> face uh, or, you know, something more in depth, like the dive on this topic with the tracheostomies, I really recommend uh, typing into Google, but definitely not Bing. Fuck <laughs> you, Bing. Life in the fast lane, tracheostomy. Um, 
it'll take you right to the Life in the Fast Lane website, to hopefully to their tracheostomy page. <laughs> and they actually have a really nice sort of easy flow chart to go about troubleshooting a variety of uh, tracheostomy tubes. I and really most hope- of it's simple. Oh, I really hope we don't get contacted by Microsoft. Be like, hey, we want to run an ad for Bing uh, on your service. <laughs> they have to kind of like go back and just be like, hey, so uh, last episode we made a joke. We actually really like Bing. Uh, it's great. It's great. Yeah. I think that'd be Bing one is- we turned down on ethical reasons. Uh, for the record, <laughs> anytime that we plug something on the show, uh, whether it's a service or a website or, or whatever, um, it's always something that we have used and always something that we have found value in and believe that you should try to. We're not just going to peddle something that like we don't like because that's a really quick way uh, to get people to stop listening to what we say. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so Bing, Bing will never have an ad spot with us. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Hear that, Bing? Boom. Probably not. I, I doubt they listen, but no, you know. I, don't, I don't think. Uh, yeah. They don't care. No. They don't care that we're number 24 in courses on Apple iTunes. Uh, we're up to number 22. Oh, shit. Yeah. yeah. 22. On a very, but specifically under courses. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're, yeah. But yeah. still, still, you know what? It's still. like 22 out of like a lot. So, <laughs> hey. Boom. Um, all right. So, are there any other discussion points that we should bring up? Um, I, my, my question is, is going to be this. I mean, not to uh, trauma assessment. I mean, they're found down in, in the middle. Uh, I didn't hear anything about pupils being checked. So they're found mm, in the middle yep. of the room. Cause I mean, to me, it's kind of like we have an altered LOC patient and I didn't really see like a cohesive, like checking off of all the possible altered LOC issues, uh, trauma being there. I don't remember anything about pupils being checked. So yeah, and I mean, like, sometimes it's hard to kind of come in when somebody's in the middle of their work and you're kind of like, hey, right. what, uh, where are you at here? What are you doing? And if you don't get an answer, but yeah, it, like, they never circled back around to complete it. And those are things that should have been done. I Actually, mean, people should have been checked. Very, yeah. very true. But on that note, you said the patient was in the middle of the room. Yeah. And they have mm, a Hoyer. Okay, so good, how yeah. does how does a non-ambulatory patient get to the middle of the room? I, I will say, hearing the story, especially when we were talking about the people from the uh, you know, from the AFH kind of giving the story, it it seemed a little shaky. I'm not saying it's impossible for something this severe to happen inside of 30 minutes, but it is I do wonder what acute thing occurred where the patient was fine 30 minutes ago and now substantially not fine. Um, which may, and then the trachea, cause at first I think I'm like, oh, the trachea is going to be displaced. Cause that's one of the few things that can acutely happen this quick. And then trachea like wasn't displaced or not trachea, yeah. but the trach tube was not displaced. And so, yeah, it's kind of weird. It, it is weird and it probably needs a little more clarification. Um, and I, I, I really wish Sisyphus had actually stayed on scene to get a little more information because it's, it is unsettling. And, you know, and yeah. it's like, how did, how did she get there? Did somebody come in and move the chair? Where was her you know, chair? Like, her chair was next to her bed. According oh, that's to Sisyphus. Right. I think you said that. Um, yeah. So if her chair's next to her bed, how did she get to the middle of the room? Exactly. So, you know, and if she's not ambulatory, like, did, how did she fall out of her chair? You know, like, the, the, yeah. like those are all presuming she fell out of her chair. Yeah, there's just a lot of questions 
And none of this leaves me with answers that feel good. No, it's not. Yeah. And you do got to pay attention to some of these facilities. I will say there are a lot of facilities out there that do a remarkable job at this, but there are some bad ones and little things like this matter. Um, I've got on calls and have been a part of uh, with lots of paperwork and write ups on facilities that will do some pretty fucked up things. Like sometimes they will like move a patient's wheelchair. Like there are some patients who who rely on a wheelchair, but they can kind of scoot themselves like from their bed to their wheelchair. So they have some independence in that way. Um, mm. But there are facilities that I have been to. And I don't know if you've seen this too, Spence, where they will take people's mobility devices and move them away from their bed. So they just stay in bed all day. So they don't have to deal with them. Like they'll put them in the room, put them in the bed oh. and then they take their wheelchairs from them or move their walkers. So that way these people can't get out of bed. Yeah. And I, oh God. Yeah. yeah I, it's pretty, it's pretty awful, but that shit does happen. And so like the, these facilities, again, they are not all bad. I'm not trying to color them that way. Some of them are, are really, really good. And by the way, to run an adult foster home takes it like to run a good one. That's a very special, unique person or family that's doing that. Um, but there are people who are dirt bags, uh, who just see, you know, people as, uh, you know, ways to pay the mortgage and treat them yeah. like shit. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, like, I'm not saying it's not hard to take care of, like, a dementia patient who, it's very hard. Know, like, wants to get out of bed. Um, but you got to. Yeah. You know, like, I, I also get frustrated on a five-minute transfer when I'm like, hey, please stay in the stretcher. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you're going the wrong way. And I'm like, you don't even know where we're going. Like, exactly. Fuck out. <laughs> you, you think we're in like, Austin, Texas, for crying out loud. Yeah, like, that, that, that does get frustrating. But that in no way justifies the like, all right, fuck it. You can't. Now we're just moving your <laughs> your wheelchair to the other side of the room so that you can't get out and bother me. That's yeah. 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 That's boy. That's a certain level of fucked right there. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I agree. I Yes. They didn't do. I, I think they missed the trauma assessment Um. to the degree that maybe it was done. But probably not, to be honest. Uh, you know, maybe it's possible that Minus did kind of a Midas did a, a quick people check and, you know, kind of ran through and did a rapid trauma assessment when they first found the patient and just failed to disclose that to uh, Sisyphus. But uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So people's not checked and there's questions about how the patient got to where she was that are left unanswered. Um, here's one that stands out for me. Uh, Midas says the following. Hey, let's just, you know, get the patient out here, out of here and into the medic. You know, we'll get her on oxygen out there. We're moving. Um, and everyone just seems to do that. I, uh, uh, what are your thoughts on that particular move? Uh, I mean, bad. I mean, here's, here's the problem is we need to recognize this patient's hypothesis. What were the oxygen saturations on this patient? They never got them. Oh, that's right. Because the pulse ox wasn't reading. Um, oxygenation needed to happen on this patient. And I think there was reason to assume that it wasn't occurring. Um, and the quickest way to get this patient oxygenation was to just go get the D cylinder and bring it back. Cause you can move a D cylinder a lot faster than you can move uh, a bariatric patient. Um, so that's what they needed to do. I understand the initial thought of like, I just want to leave this clusterfuck of a scene and get going and get done with this. 
I understand that feeling, uh, but I, I don't understand that decision. The, the decision is not an appropriate response. Uh, go get the go get the oxygen, bring it back, oxygenate your patient, and then start moving out because your patient's going to do a lot better that way. And it's about the yeah, patient, it, not your own frustrations. Yeah, it, it's easy to go like, oh fuck, it, it won't take long to get her out. It all it, one, it always will take longer than you think it will. Yes. And yeah, like, and that's it. That's actually, this is one point. Yeah. It'll take fucking longer and your patient needs oxygen. So yeah. go get the D cylinder. <laughs> bring it back. Well, and then that way you don't have legs, to rush. Carry her out. And then you don't have to rush. I mean, tra- if you're trying to rush taking a 450 pound patient out of anywhere, like it's a bad idea. Like that's how patients get dropped and stretchers tip over, you know, and shit like that. When people are rushing, don't rush. Yeah. Yep. Br- yeah. Bring no. the oxygen. All right. Um, yeah. I, were there any other points that you saw in this call? Uh, no, nothing, nothing that I can, nothing I can see right off the bat. I, I, so far I, I'm good. All right. Well, uh, yeah, let's get to, let's summarize our learning points then for this episode. Yeah. Uh, number one, ABCs. Always be checking your ABC. <laughs> See what I did there. Oh, when you find, yeah, ABCs, baby. Always be checking when you find a spare moment, or after you move your patient, do the scan. Don't assume that everyone is doing what they're supposed to be doing. Check, Tr- you know, trust but verify. Yeah, you know, hey, make sure that your airway's still good, ventilations are measurably happening, that your SpO two, like, hey, is it improving? Is it gotten better? Is the O two connected to a goddamn O two source? Uh, you know, does the patient still have a pulse? You know, like y- you can follow those trends, you can see that thing. So t- stop, take the second. You'll you'll thank yourself for doing it because you'll avoid this bullshit where you show up and you're like, Oh fuck. The one thing that we were all collectively supposed to do, we failed to do. Um, yeah. PIC, be a strong PIC, declare the role. Don't get yourself underwater with tasks, stand back, direct, be the person who gets information and follows up. Yeah, absolutely. This would be a different call if that was the case. Absolutely. Tracheostomies. Remember, we're looking if they're cuffed or uncuffed. If they're cuffed, you want to make sure that the pilot balloon's inflated so that you can ventilate. If they're uncuffed, you're going to have the extra step of trying to manage air from escaping out the mouth and nose. So troubleshoot accordingly. Um, And keep in mind... Tracheostomies can end up in the wrong spot, or rather trach tubes can end up in the wrong spot. It's not as easy as you may think. Yeah. And again, I think the last point you brought up is really good, which is do the best thing for the patient, not for you. So, you know, if the patient needs oxygen, bring it to them. Don't struggle for five minutes to get the patient out of a room and down the hall when you could just fucking... Bring the D cylinder in the their light. Just take the time. So yeah, that's uh that's this week's call. It was an amazing call. I really liked it. Um so with that, everybody, as always, please follow us on social media. We are on Facebook at EMS20 slash 20. Find us on Instagram at EMS2020 show. Please send us an email at EMS2020 podcast at gmail.com. And with that, Spence, you brought the call. Bring the outro. Oh, I'm going to bring the outro. All right, here it is. 
here's the awkward moment. Here's the, you know, everybody has a thing they don't like in EMS. Tracheostomies are honestly the thing I dislike the most. Oh, I, really? Because you'll have, I've done enough of these like inner facilities where they're sitting there or the laying on the, on the bed with the, with the trach tube. And then they have that deep cough, that sort of raunchous mm. cough. And you're like, oh God, Mm-mm. here it comes. Mm-mm. Oh God. You, oh, it's you coming. know, and no. Then, and then it just launches out uh, fucking just the mucus pours out of that thing well and i feel bad for the patients that have to deal with that too like that's no fun for them but this is a oh. uh, blah so this i are you telling this on purpose because you know about my <laughs> so like every every parabetic has like their kryptonite and there's a story that i can't tell without gagging Oh shit! I want to hear this story. Oh, you don't? I thought that's why you were bringing this up. Uh, no, no. I just, I literally, I'm like, oh god, here it. Old Faithful's about to blow, and fuck, here it comes. Oh Jesus! All right, so, all right. Here's the story. Um, basically, what you need to do is tune in next week on EMS 2020 every Wednesday. New episodes starting at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, and then you can hear the story. With that, we'll see you later.